go. So we're good to start. Yeah. All right. Let me. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna get started here. Oh, I forgot. Um, I'm on it. Yeah, and uh, I we start we we do a bunch of podcasts, um, and I'll tell you a little bit more about it. But for those of you who do listen to at least one of the shows that I'm on, we always start with like Neil Young. So so I'm gonna do that. It'll sound it'll probably sound terrible. Yeah. But that's how you know the show started. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Adam. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm Ben Chapman. Um, I'm a, one of the co-hosts of Food Safety Talk and Risky or Not. My, my other co-host, um, my normal, normal co-host, I have, I have two, two special guest co-hosts up here today. Um, and I'm going to introduce them and get, get them to talk a little bit about themselves here in a minute. But my normal co-host uh, is on a plane right now flying to Japan. And yeah, I know. It's super cool. Um, and I promise you that he didn't do that like on purpose, um, knowing that we had, had um, already agreed to come here to Norfolk to record this podcast. But when we actually got into scheduling, he's like, well, I'm, that's going to be very def- for, tough for me f- to do because I will be um, literally in the air at the time that we record that. And he texted me five minutes ago, so I'll just give you an update on uh, Don Schaffner's travels, um, which is a, a segment that we don't usually do on the podcast, but I might add it, add it now. Um, uh, he said... Um, also, if being over a country in an airplane counts as current as being in a country, I am currently in Canada. Which, for those of you who do listen to our podcast, know that that is close to my heart because I'm from Canada. And then he sent me um, three Canadian flag emojis. So that is his. Uh, that, that's that's Don's contribution here today. Um, and I'll just uh, uh, work, work with my two friends up here, and and we'll we'll carry the show. Um, so what one of the things um, I'll just give you a little bit of background into what what you're experiencing today. Um, this is a very much an audio format. It's a podcast. How many of you um, listen to podcasts? Great. It's like zero. Yeah, no, there was a lot of people there. Oh, it must have been too loud. Um, so uh, how many of you have heard of Food Safety Talk before? Okay, so that, that's great. Um, or Risky or Not. All right, wow. Um, so Don and I have been doing these podcasts um, for 12 years, which is sounds like a, a lot. Um, I I know this because I have I have two kids, one of whom is currently here in the room. He's at the back, so everybody wave at him. That's Sam. Um, Sam is 12, <laughs> and we started this podcast the year that he was born. Um, so so I always know like how long we've been we've been doing this, um, but. Every once in a while, and, and Jessica asked this uh, today before we started, like how often we do these things live, and, and we, I, I don't know the exact number. I'm sure I could go back and, and look. We've done 290 episodes of um, Food Safety Talk, and almost, and actually what you haven't seen yet, but I can tell you what the, what the real number is on Risky or Not, I think it's 475 episodes of risky or not so we've been doing this for for a while and every once in a while we get invited to do these things in person and and live and the first time that we did this like three people showed up um 
and and it's like truthfully and, and Don and I would, would he would say this and I'll, you know I'll, I'll speak on his behalf even though he's he's not here and he's currently in or over Canada um, we're we would do this even if people didn't listen to it um, we're constantly surprised that people show up um, so again thank you for being very surprising and being here today I I don't know what else we're up against but I, I in the other sessions I won't comment on the um, how exciting they are to be based on how many people are here because I, I it's always like I said very surprising to see anybody um, here in in a room uh, when we do these things live but there when we do them live it's it's often um, some of our our favorite shows because we um, and if you listen to the show um, we don't do a lot of preparation <laughs> like like in fact like any preparation we have a we have this process where over the course of a couple of weeks, um, if Don and I read things, we, we have a shared Dropbox that we just like put things into, and sometimes we read that right before and talk about it, and sometimes we don't at all, um, and, and then we just kind of go down the list and be like, why did you put this in here? And then we, we try to talk about it. Um, my, uh, my, my special guests here, um, and again, I'll, I'll mention their names. Um, now, Adam Inman from the Kansas Department of Agriculture, Jessica Badur um, from uh, AFTO. Uh, they're pinch hitting for, for Don. I, over the last couple of weeks, I've been trying to think of people who I knew would be here who would make really good guests and, and um, have a conversation uh, for the next hour or so about food safety things and, and other things. And Adam and Jessica um, really were the first couple of people that, that came to mind. Um, there were a couple of people that turn, turned it down, that they weren't going to be here. And then, yeah. I knew it. Yeah. That makes sense. But, but I, I used a shotgun approach where I emailed everybody kind of at the same time and whoever got back to me. So, so there, there, yeah, we, we could have had 14 people up here, um, but, but we have two and it's going to be awesome. Um, and uh, um, I, I, on the way here, I, I live about three hours away from, from Norfolk, and uh, I was driving here today thinking, hey, I should probably let Jessica and Adam know what to expect. So I did a, like a voice-to-text email to them as I was driving, which is probably like... 80% incoherent, um, but they still showed up. And, and there were a couple of questions, and I just remember basically my answer to one of them was like, yeah, we don't do any preparations. Don't worry. There's no prep. You don't have to, you don't have to know anything. Um, it's, just a, it's just a conversation, so we're going to be good. Um, so um, we, uh, b- before I, I start interviewing the two of you, um, I, we, we do these podcasts really to help us, Don and I, formulate our ideas about things that are going around or going on in the world of food safety. And um, I used to do a lot of um, blogging and and then um, certainly moved into social media. And what I've really found over the last 12 years that I've been doing this is that Seeing something, reading about something um, is is great, but but what I what I really want is to be able to talk it out with somebody, and and it really helps both Don and I kind of formulate what we think about a situation, an outbreak, and, and we both come from different different backgrounds. My my area of expertise is really around consumer and retail food safety. I'm all about kind of people aspects of, of food safety. And Don is a microbial modeler. So he's all about 
math and microbes. And so um, what what I really enjoy about doing this and, and really talking with him every couple of, we really actually talk once a week now on um, both, you know, sort of every other week on, on each podcast um, is just hearing his thoughts about something. And so that's the, one of the biggest like lessons that I've, that I've learned. The other thing that is really weird um, about being on a podcast um, is that, and I, I consume a lot of podcasts, so I get this from the consumption side of things, but I, but I also see it from like the creation side where I'll, I'll go to a meeting um, or somewhere and I'll meet somebody for the first time and, and they're like, yeah, I know, I know your voice. Like I know you because I've listened to like, you know, whatever, an hour, or five hours or 10 hours of, of you, you talking. Um, and, and you, you're often in this conversation where you're like in line for drinks at a reception or something. And neither of you look at each other. Like, like, because, cause the, cause podcasting is really, it's all about auditory. Right. And so, so it's a weird, sometimes it's a weird spot to, to be in. So what I want to say, and Don would, would say the same thing if he was here. Um, if you do listen, uh, to, you know, to the podcast uh, as we're here at, at Afto this week, or as I'm here, um, and, and you want to introduce yourself, that'd be great. I'd be happy to uh, to um, buy you a, a drink, or at many receptions, uh, find you a free drink. However, that works. Um, uh, either way, either way, it's cool. Um, but um, but please introduce yourself because it's something that we find really rewarding. And, and like I said, we we would do this even if no one listened. But it's a real bonus to hear how we've we've sometimes like impacted um, what people do in the world of food safety and sometimes outside of food safety. It's, it's very, um, it's very cool for us. One of the things that, that I've really taken away from this, um, is, and I, I just, I heard something just 10 minutes before we started that I thought was really cool. Just like, sometimes we talk about stuff on risky or not that someone else is searching for that question, whether it's, I'll, I'll go back on, um, some of the things that we've done in the past, like, um, ice cream in a malfunctioning freezer or an old meat stick or um, dry pickles, bog butter, um, or uh, what, what came up as the example right before the show is uh, butter boards from, from TikTok. Um, people stumble across these things in the food safety world, and, and sometimes we, we've already recorded a podcast on it. And so I, I'd love to be that, um, at least hopefully for, for us to help, help you in, in your questions um, and the things that you do in, in your job. Um, the other thing that's been really cool about being on this side of the podcast is, um, you know, both Don and I are, are in the world of higher education and academia, and we often hear from students who are studying for their comprehensive exams or, you know, getting ready for their um, thesis or uh, defense or dissertation that they'll listen to the last couple episodes of Food Safety Talk as like a trick to be like, I know what's going on in the world of food safety right now, and I will um, you utilize that as uh, putting stuff into context, which I think is really cool as well. So, um, so anyway, that's my message of um, I just we we really appreciate hearing from everybody, and so if uh, it, it, please don't hesitate to um, to say hi if, if you listen. Um, so anyway, I'm gonna. Well, I'm going to open things up here. So I've got two fantastic guests. Um, for those of you who listen to Food Safety Talk, we do have guests from time to time. Don and I have gone through um, a bit that we've created that is really trying to trick each other. Like, we usually do this on Zoom. And so um, we all, I mean, like, 
400 plus of the episodes uh, are on Zoom. And um, we, we, we don't look at each other. It's all audio. So we'll invite on like guests that are, that know, like the other one doesn't know who it is. Um, and then we play like 20 questions um, to try and guess. And famously, I'm terrible at it. And I, <laughs> and I hate it um, because I feel so embarrassed about it. And so, um, so today, you all get to see the, the guests. Um, and, and I've already mentioned their, their names for the listeners who are listening to the recording. But I, I want to um, spend, spend some time getting to know both Adam and Jessica today and just get a, get a sense of um, why they do what they do in, in food safety and, and how, how they got here. Um, and then we're going to get into some other food safety things and maybe play a little bit of Risky or Not and then uh, open it up to questions to the audience. So, um, so I, I, I'm going to start with Jessica. And Jessica doesn't know that this is coming. Um, no, I've not prepared. No yeah, no preparation. No, no one's prepared uh, at all. Um, but Jessica, if, if you could just... Tell me, tell us, not just me. Tell tell us uh, a little bit about um, you know how you how you got to here on the stage today, <laughs> um, but not just because I emailed you, but like you know your your food safety journey. Um, but also, this is the the bonus uh, question that they don't know is coming. Adam's going to have a little bit more time to think about it. But I also want you to tell everybody something surprising about yourself that that we don't know. Like something, something like not, you know, people that know you in your professional world won't know. I'll go, like, I can go first if it makes you feel a little bit better. Um, my kids know this, uh, but not everybody does. When I was in eighth grade, and I actually thought about this because my other kid showed up, Jack, uh, wave at everybody. So he's 14. He just gra- um, graduated from eighth grade. He's 14 and embarrassed and will not be waving, um, <laughs> just for those who are listening. Um, uh, I was sitting in his eighth grade graduation um, on Friday morning, and I was thinking about what my eighth grade was like. And I, when I was in eighth grade, I was on um, a television show that was a quiz show for eighth graders in Ontario, where I'm from. Um, and I was on the show. <laughs> it was like Jeopardy, but like Team Jeopardy. Um, and uh, I was on it, um, I, I think it was uh, seven episodes, because we made it all the way to the finals. But we lost to Halliburton um, uh, Middle School, and that school is like forever will be dead to me. Um, <laughs> and and I'll, I remember the faces of the three kids who beat us in the finals, um, and uh, those those are etched in my memory. And so so again, not everybody knows that about me. And uh, really, the surprising part is how long I carry a judge. A, a grudge, not a judge. I won't be carrying any judges either. All right, so Jessica, now it's your turn. Isn't that a, isn't that a field day of band at law school? It, it is. Carry a judge. Yes, yes. Well, thank you, Ben, and thank you so much for inviting me to be here. I actually thought there would probably be only three people listening, so... <laughs> I'm super excited that so many people showed up to listen. Uh, my name is Jessica Bedore. Um, so now I'm thinking something surprising, and I'm thinking about eighth grade. Oh. So in eighth grade, I was the French student of the year. So I spoke French for, and as a Canadian, you might be able to appreciate wow. that. So I spoke French from eighth grade up through college, and then in college, I decided that it was getting too hard, and I didn't want to go to France. So I dropped the French minor, which is what I was minoring in. And I focused on my English major, which, why am I on a stage about a food safety talk if I was an English major? Um, that's also somewhat of a far leap, right? So how did I get here? Uh, I'm originally from New York. Now I live outside of Atlanta. 
When I first moved to Georgia, I never would have thought about working for a government agency. But when I started looking for work, Atlanta notoriously has a lot of different state departments um, that are headquartered there. And Georgia Department of Agriculture was one of them. And I had a communications background. So I started there in 2010 in their press office. So I did a lot of communications work for about two years. And then the food safety director at the time came and just like dropped this job description on my desk. And it was for a recall communications position in the food safety division. And I called my then boyfriend, now husband, and I was like, do you think he wants me to apply for this job? He's like, uh, yeah, he wants you to apply for the job. So I applied for the job, and long story short, that's how I ended up here. I went into the food safety division and did tons of on-the-job training because I have no formal food science background whatsoever um, and learned a lot from my peers and coworkers over the years. And I focused a lot on recalls, um, did a lot with consumer and industry outreach, and um, then I ended up being the rapid response team program manager for the department before I came over to Opto two years ago, almost two years ago. So that's me in a nutshell. Nice. And now you're doing workforce and communications oh, yeah. at Apto. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. That's, they, that, that's why I'm here. <laughs> is it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so what does that, what does that mean? What's uh, what's workforce and communications coordination? Yes. So I do a lot right now at the department of agriculture in Georgia. Um, I helped to create an internship program there. The commissioner, when I was in the communications office came in and was like, Hey, I want to have interns. Can you help with that? And I think because I was new and he was new in my first year there, um, I don't know, I guess he thought I would be a, a good candidate to help start it off. So I did, and we formalized it over the years. And then when I came over to the food safety division, I helped to manage and supervise interns um, for my tenure there, almost nine years. So saw lots of amazing interns that came through the door. One of them sitting right up here that's our part of our current internship program. Um, so in my role now, I am really trying to help showcase why working in the government's a pretty cool place to be. And it's a, a great opportunity that a lot of people don't think about when they're thinking about their career path. So really trying to just get the word out about how many opportunities there are at local, state, and federal government agencies. And then also helping support state agencies, bring on interns, and hopefully create the next um, pipeline of talent. So we have 10 student interns that are hired at eight different state agencies from around the country that are here uh, this week with us here at Apto so that they can experience what a professional networking event is all about and get some free training and meet lots of people and maybe find their future job. So be sure to say hi to them. Awesome. And Jessica, is this the state manufactured food, food student internship program? It is. All right. Yes. See, I, I'm, I'm like, I'm really good at Googling while people are talking. Uh, yes. And then foodsafetycareers.org is where we are trying to aggregate all of the state and federal regulatory jobs um, in food and animal feed. So Awesome. Well, we'll link to those in our, in our show notes. So Thanks. if people are listening along at home, then they can, uh, they can find, find that there. Um, all right, Adam, you had a chance to think about your surprising, and, and, I, and it's, it's, not, it's maybe not um, related to your ability to do parodies on very niche, very niche. things, uh, like uh, cooperative uh, agreements, uh, hey, which is something we talked money. about before. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, I really wish that I had gone first because you set the bar way too high. Uh, I doubt that. I've had time to prepare and 
and it's unfortunate. You are a little yeah. higher now, I mean. <laughs> yeah, and I'm feeling very Ricky Bobby moment right now. Like, I don't know what to do with my hands. <laughs> it's so much pressure. This is like, and you talk about niche niche goals and, and parodies and, and the niche dream is to be on Food Safety Talk so thank you for, for making that dream come true Ben wow you you're, can buy me you're a welcome I, I can't tell if there's sarcasm, sarcasm in that or not but, the key to but happy, you're welcome the key to happiness is managing expectations <laughs> and so hey I've lived I've lived one, one dream here so yeah my name is Adam Inman and I'm currently the assistant program manager for food safety and lodging at the Kansas Department of Agriculture and we'll get in a little bit about that I think really have to dive into my origin story and it comes to my ancestry. So let's go back in history a little bit. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> that's, a, that's a different podcast. That's a different yeah. podcast, yeah. So, so the, the first thing I'll say that may be surprising, some people know this, some people don't. I, I dropped out of public speaking the first time I tried to take it in college because I was absolutely terrified. And uh, now I'm kind of addicted. <laughs> some people jump off of cliffs and I, and I do public speaking. Um, it's actually much more challenging when you don't have your guitar because the guitar is your security blanket and it gives you this validation. So I'm being very vulnerable with you right now. But yeah, so many, many years ago, I've been around the block a while, but I was in the environmental field and decided that I was on the road. The the 30 to 50% travel time that was actually 75 to 90% travel time was a little much. I said, hey, here's a state inspector job. I could probably make my biology degree work for that. I don't think I'll be traveling all that much. And they give raises, right? There's a, there's a whole pay plan progression. So I got on there and then realized that they didn't. They hired me, so I was an inspector for a couple of years. And that was, uh, I think food safety finds you, for those that, that it's their calling. And we're, they found me. Yeah, so once you're in, you're kind of in. Uh, so I had an opportunity to jump over when there was some reshuffling of, of agency responsibilities and help out with the transition from Department of Health and Environment where as an inspector, I got to move into a technical specialist role that was kind of supervising the program as it went over to the Department of Agriculture. And did that for a couple of years, then had an opportunity to, to jump over in the pesticide and fertilizer field as a, compliant, a case review officer and learned a lot about that uh, really established program. And one of the things I think with workforce development that was really beneficial for me, and I think is something that we kind of miss in our current environment, uh, is the ability to basically apprentice with someone and to learn from their experience and, and to, to garner that. So did that for three years, and then I'm not sure if Steve Morris conned me or I conned him, but uh, came back to food safety and had been there ever since and just, just love it to death. And get stuck. I mean, one of the opportunities, of course, one of the reasons that I do stay is because people tolerate my, my, my food safety parodies <laughs> and food safety parody songs. So that, that brings my other real passion um, outside of my family, my, the music, and I get to bring it together. So just kind of synthesizing this whole whole thing. So that's where I'm at. Awesome. And then uh, your most surprising thing. Oh, yeah. I told I mean, oh, you were Googling. Sorry. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> got it. Psychology got it. Psychology says that multitasking is bad yeah, 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 for the yeah. brain. Got so it. Got just, it. Got it. Just be aware of I'll, that. I'll, I'll, I'll catch it, I in, I'll, I'll catch of, it in post. I dropped, take, yeah, yeah. I dropped out of public speaking. Yes, that was it. Yeah, yeah, it I thought game. that was just your preamble of why you're up here. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, jumping off a cliff. Well yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> well, so um, both of you uh, kind of talk about a, a little bit on on how you got into this. One one thing I want to ask, and, and the I, I really enjoy getting together in person um, for for discussions. Like, and and I know like I, I'm all about you know making sure that um, 
that we manage uh, that we manage safety in the midst of, of a pandemic. But one of the things that I've I've really enjoyed sort of getting back to over the last really year or so is is having these conversations with people face to face. And and I want to kind of ask you both again on the spot about like weird or notable things from your regulatory world. So like I guess for Jessica, for you thinking about your your role as a recall you know, communications person, um, were there any like, and, and you don't have to name names or pr- we could protect all of the, all of the innocence, but was there anything like, man, that was, that was a really weird situation or really like interesting or, or notable? Of course. Yes. Yeah. Good. Well, I think it all stems back to the salads that you get in the clamshell, which I don't like the word clamshell because as a consumer, no one knows what that is, but you know, the plastic containers where you get your salad. So I've heard many things and I have seen many things that have come in those salad clamshells that are not salad. We had one complaint that came into Georgia that was full of feathers with the salad. Mm. And then there was another one, I won't name states, but we partnered with them because it did have a tie into Georgia, but a woman had been eating some salad and then she called the health department because she found something in her salad and the, the health department contacted the epidemiologist and said, you need to talk to this woman. And she's like, all right, and guess, of course, guess what time that was at? It's like the end of the Fourth day. On a Friday. Friday, on a Friday. Yeah. So she calls the, the woman and the woman tells her uh, what she found and she's like, could you send me a picture of it? And she gets a picture of it, and it was definitely a bat. So that's that's my like the bat most and interesting one. Yeah. That I've seen. Yeah, it was like sixty percent of a bat, <laughs> like still intact. Too. Like the good, like the good parts. But too far gone to know if it had rabies. So she did have to go through the, the rabies. Whoa. So, yeah, that's probably the most fun one. All right, that's. I like to tell that to students when I'm talking about yeah. like cool food safety. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Because it's got that good shock and awe factor. You know? That's good. That's a surprising one. I wouldn't have thought about a bat. Yeah. Um, Adam, when you were when you were doing your you know inspections and field stuff, did you ever see anything um, anything exciting? Anything? Yeah, it's, it's it's really surprising. That, of course, anyone who's been out in the field knows it's just different people have different viewpoints and different understandings of what's okay and what's not okay. And uh, probably the one that that comes to mind is and has the most facets involved a response facet just an illness and just a good crime story true crime was the the outbreak where we had two instances uh sequentially the first one had i think it was around 20 people were were sent to the hospital and ambulances from the restaurant and there's media coverage have a good presentation on it with with all the media uh, footage it's, it's pretty interesting and so we weren't really able to figure out working with all our partners about how um, what what caused it if it was safe for the restaurant to continue to operate if it's an ongoing risk the public uh, came up with like carbonator poisoning copper poisoning from a from not having a, the appropriate backflow prevention on the soda machine carbonator to get really technical huh. and that was not it of course um, then fast forward a couple weeks we talked with all the partners and this is all, you can search this on the U.S. Attorney's website. Um, there was a second instance, and they actually have television footage of patrons being wheeled away in ambulances from the restaurant. And our, our partner, contract partner at the time, the local health agency in that county, 
was able or was actually able I don't know if it was a blessing or a gift but they got to collect vomit samples from the dining room tables and analyze those and it was so we knew something was was not right uh, but didn't know exactly what was wrong so we kept kept them closed for a while got to have a lot of really really interesting conversations with the US Attorney's Office with local law enforcement with uh, the Office of Criminal Investigations at FDA and long story short the the niece of the owner had put had put uh, um, always a carbamate pesticide into the salsa intentionally because her husband was disgruntled and thought that that was the best way to get his pickup truck back because he blamed the restaurant owner for for doing that so um, got to see vomit samples collected from the table hear stories about patrons shoving each other out of the way to get to the bathroom um, got to have kind of a crime lab scenario where they were doing testing and just shotgunning their testing because they didn't know exactly what it was got to wow. uh, yeah hear stories about witnessing uh, police interrogations so it was kind of a like looking back nobody was seriously injured and no long-term effects of that but just a really really interesting story all around huh to yeah. me I don't know. I, don't, I think it sounded kind of boring when I was telling it. No, but that's just the delivery. It did not. Yeah, no, no. Those, those good. And I, I, I did find the um, as as I was half listening to you and googling, um, but I, but I got it all this time. Um, yeah. So we'll we'll link to that um, in the uh, in the show notes as well. Um, and and that, I mean, to me, that brings up like a, um, just an interesting an interesting topic area because we don't hear a lot about intentional contamination. Like, I mean, there, there are a few examples, um, that are out there that, that, you know, when you talk to folks within the industry, um, and you know, when, when I do, um, educational programs and you try to be like, okay, we're really interested in the things that just happen and contamination that comes through, but also it's important to think about like security and, and making sure that you're, um, that, that you're keeping, um, you know, keeping intentional um, issues away from from the food supply. This there there aren't a ton of those you know those examples, right? Like we we we've got like millions of cases of foodborne illness a year, um, but a, a you know a handful of intentional contamination um, to to talk through. So no, I think that's really that's really interesting. I thought it was interesting to think that putting poison in salsa would result in returning a truck. That's yeah. that's a it's a very it's a yeah I've never I've never thought about that when I lost something yeah reportedly he you know you have to leverage it sort of a blackmail approach and yeah and so he actually had submitted a comment to the online comment form of the restaurant saying the worst is yet to come I'm on my truck back wow. something to that effect but they didn't of course check their online comments ever that was just a <laughs> suggestion box and so they did that's <laughs> well, I went nowhere I don't. I don't know if he would have gotten Where's his truck that? back. I'm going to try and find that Yelp right now and see if I can find. <laughs> I think it was really for Yelp. It's maybe. really good, except for the pesticide and the salsa. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> but at the intentional adulteration and uh, food defense is an important concept, and we were able. Yeah. To, I was happy to get one through the Comptroller Food Protection. Worked on that committee, and we just got that as a suggestion for FDA to consider adding to as a, a demonstration of knowledge area, as well as a responsibility of the person in charge to be able to just have some awareness of that because it does happen enough, and it and it seems to be these the village idiot. Just maybe that's not appropriate anymore, but somebody thinks this is a good idea. And there was just a case in Pennsylvania this spring of another tampering. So it, it does go on, and it is fortunately very rare. We don't want to give people bad ideas, um, give these bad people bad ideas to, to implement, but we also have to have an awareness and try to take steps to, to prevent this. Yeah, no, that's, that's really cool. Um, so 
Um, one thing I did let Jessica and Adam know that I wanted to talk about was, uh, and, and this is more just sharing here for this group. Um, we haven't had a chance to, no one's seen this, but uh, switching topics a little bit, but there's a documentary that was released on Friday um, at the Tribeca Film Festival that's based on, a, um, really based on the the world of food safety since Jack in the Box. Um, and the it, it's a documentary that's going to be on Netflix at some point. It's called, uh, I, I believe it's called Poison. And it's built based on a book that kind of details um, Bill Marler, the food safety lawyer's um, story post um, Jack in the Box. And, and so I, the, I, I wanted, we haven't had, not, none of us have, have watched it, um, but what I wanted to do, and I know that there's a session here at AFTO talking about sort of 30 years since Jack in, Jack in the Box, so um, for those who are in the room, go check that out, um, and I think it's on Tuesday, I can't remember for sure, uh, but check your book. Um, on that, but I want I, what I really wanted to do was ask Jessica and, and Adam about this, like what their their views. You know, I, I, I I'm gonna guess I don't know everybody's age up here, but I don't think any of us were in the world of food safety in 1993 um, when that outbreak happened. There are some people in the room. Let the record show, even though it's an audio uh, format, that at least one person put their hand up. Uh, <laughs> um, but but I like I I think about. I think about this event, and for those who are not familiar, new to the world of food safety, there's um, an outbreak of E. coli 157H7 that was linked to um, undercooked hamburgers at Jack in the Box outlets in uh, late 1992, early 1993, that essentially led to this cascade of events like requiring HACCP. Um, in meat and poultry plants and E. coli 157H7 being named an adulterant. Like, there's a lot of things that happen from that. And so I just really wanted to, to get your perspectives on the, sort of the, the history. You've been, you've been around the world of food safety for, for a while. We still talk about, about this event as a, as a really important um, event, but I, I want to really just dive into to what your thoughts are um, on, on where, you know, what's happened over the last you know, 30 years in the world of food safety. Sure, I'll, I'll take yeah. a stab at it. So, yeah, it is a seminal event, and I, we do use, we do try to honor the legacy of the, the folks that were impacted. Uh, appreciate that story. I'm looking forward to, to watching that documentary. I've read the Poison book, and very, very engaging book. Uh, some interesting segments in there. Inspired one of the lyrics in one of my food safety songs as well. I can play that sometime. We're doing karaoke tonight, so check that out. But I think one of the, I mean, just being able to learn from a lesson like that that was so well documented because it was so impactful. And you look at what it was undercooked by that scientific standard, and it shows you that to me one of my concerns is that something that does emerge, there tends to be, particularly at retail, a very long lag because of due process and, and the regulatory protections that are in place. It's going to take a while. It took a while for that cooking temperature change to get in the food code before that. And that's one of the reasons I think that contributed to, to that. So in, it might have been totally legal cooking temperature for a hamburger in a, in a certain jurisdiction, but it wasn't in another. But ultimately, it was not safe at that point. And I think still just, I don't know, show of hands, who's brave thinks consumer advisory is really a, a good thing. I mean, I guess there's, it's a warning sign. Does it carry an impact? There's a lot of other things that we require that probably have a lower value. So I think maybe that's when we have to continue to drive education on. But, um, you know, get basically sign the waiver and say, this is, 
an increased risk of foodborne illness, and it could be very, very serious, but it's okay because we told you so. And I don't know, that's one we struggle with, but we get to live in the middle as regulators and try to balance a lot of those different forces, due process, um, the science, all the sciences, the political science included, the behavioral science. So um, it, it was a big change. It got it in, into the, the public mind uh, in awareness. I know when I was a young, dumb kid starting to, to grill hamburgers back then, and I'm freaking out about it. I'm going to kill myself with E. coli. So maybe that was like another one of my formational things. But um, I think at the 30th anniversary, we're humans, so we tend to latch on to these milestones. And I think it's, a, it's really necessary for us to, to take advantage of that awareness that will be increased, hopefully, from from this, this documentary and to be able to, to continue to further the mission in a balanced way to, to reduce the risk of foodborne illness while providing safe, abundant, quality, tasty food for, for people and jobs. Yeah, for sure. Jessica, any, anything? Yeah, you, yeah. I think, I mean, what, as you were asking the question, I think, too, like just looking at technology and the changes that have happened in the last 30 years, um, you know, hospitals talking to each other, this sort of like holistic approach of looking at illness and actually tracking an outbreak beyond a local jurisdiction or beyond the state borders, you know, that's still kind of, I mean, if you think about the grand scheme of things, it's kind of a relatively new development in the last, you know, 20 years where you've got whole genome sequencing coming into play and things like that that are, you know, significantly linking, you know, giving you the proof, right? And we talked about the the lag time that it can take, but I think that the science has gotten faster and the technology has gotten faster to help us make those changes a little bit more quickly. Um, but then you still always have, you know, the human element. And I, when I was doing my IFPTI research for my fellowship um, many years ago, I was in cohort four and came and presented about um, recalls and states, state agencies' thoughts on sharing food safety information, recall information using social media channels, and a lot of them were not doing it then. Um, I think a lot more are doing it now, but even just looking at the research, too, of how consumers were reacting to recalls and thinking, like, eh, you know, maybe I have it, maybe I don't, and, you know, now I, I don't know how the behaviors have started to shift, but I do think that there is still this, like, it could never happen to me thought process that, you know, I don't know when we'll ever overcome that, but... Yeah, it's like we've we've made we've made a lot of strides, and, and there's been certainly technological and communication advances, but we still we still have like you know 48 million cases of foodborne illness a year, and um, and that that needle it hasn't hasn't really hasn't really moved. Yeah, um, I want to come back to something that Adam said though, just about consumer advisories. It's an area that um, I'd lo- love to get Jessica's perspective on this with, with her background um, in, in recall communications is we, we did some work um, at NC State probably about a decade ago now where we um, w- worked with um, people right throughout the U.S. to go order hamburgers specifically undercooked at restaurants um, kind of as secret shoppers and to engage in conversations with servers so to adam's point we know you know we in the food safety world know that that there's um you know a focus in the food code about consumer advisory and and a you know a disclosure of of risk um is required but what we found was was really um i think difficult to like figure out how to how to fix or address so we and i just pulled up the the info on this um 
about 70, I think we went to, I'll have to look at the exact number here, 265 restaurants nationally. And um, 77% of the um, places that would allow us to order a hamburger undercooked didn't mention um, anything about um, temperature. Um, Servers said that the meat was safe because it was cooked until the juices ran clear, which is totally unreliable. Um, you know, that it was ground on site, so you didn't have to worry about the disclosure. So, so we had this, like, uh, disconnect, right? Like, the regulation, well, depending on how, how the food code's implemented, the, the, it, the information around the disclosure and the code was there, and it was on the menus, but then the person who you talked to told you something totally different. And that's that's a... Like we 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 did that work, and we're like, someone should fix that. <laughs> and and I and I and I bet if we went back and redid this work today, it would be similar. You know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure where where things are at, but it but it is. It's like one of these things that that all came from Jack in the Box and being able to disclose and really nudge consumers towards decision making, but also recognize that that people can make decisions um but but it's really like uh, we 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 took this information and talked to folks at different agencies in the federal government and we're like hey um did you know that restaurant employees like servers are risk communicators like and and the you know response from from folks in a couple of federal agencies are like well they're they're really not i'm like oh they we went to 265 restaurants they certainly are they're telling people things um and and that's who they're going to ask so we should maybe think about training them in this area and and doing more um uh, about it so anyway just from like i want to kind of push this back to to jessica in your experiences and especially just being that you sat in in a in a place of communication within a um within a state agency like what are some of the what are the some of, some of the challenges that you see in 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 that without without getting yeah whatever you want to whatever you want to share okay. yeah well for the record I ordered a cheeseburger for lunch today and nobody asked me how I wanted it cooked it just came the way it came and I'm pretty I mean if I had a guess it was like a medium well it's more on the well done side so yeah um, yeah uh, well I I think from a communication standpoint working I, I think it's sort of like there's two sides of the coin right you work for a, a regulatory agency. Um, you're supposed to know what you're talking about, so you should be a trusted resource. A lot of times, you might be the only agency that's willing to make a comment. And I saw that especially during recalls, right? Like the company is freaking out. They have a million things going on. They're, they don't want to talk to the media. And FDA may have a lot of hoops they have to jump through to make a statement. But as the state regulatory agency, I felt like we were in a really good place to try to provide outreach to the media and to consumers, especially if there was a lot of questions about a rolling recall that maybe had multiple products coming out over time. And just trying to, again, like be that trusted source to give you the information that you need. And then the other side of that coin is... We work for the government, so we can't trust anything that <laughs> Right. So we're just not going to listen. So, I mean, and I think that it's it's just, it's hard to sometimes overcome those challenges. Um, but it's funny because when I first got into the food safety world, I was super overwhelmed by, anyone want to guess? The, starts with an A, the acronyms. Oh, okay. 
I love that. You them. guys are going in all different Yeah, places. I love those. So many acronyms. And also just like the vernacular yeah. of food safety professionals. Yeah. So I felt very kind of like at, an, at a disadvantage. But then, again, the flip side of that is that when you're trying to talk to consumers, they may not – you talk about UPC codes. Just call it the barcode because that's what they call it. You know, kind of meeting them where they are in terms of their education. Um, and I completely agree that your server is a risk communicator. Um, and I think that's definitely an untapped – resource for sure yeah and it's, it's like one of these things that it, it's i think it's hard to we, we ask already so much of mm-hmm. the like our our regulated industry right around food safety and, and communication it's like it's one other thing but it, it in that case it seems to matter too right like that's where someone's going to get information so it's i think it's a tough one because we don't you know we, we know we all know here about margins within the food industry whether it's retail or food service or manufacturing about how, how small it is. And it's, it's, it's difficult. Um, okay. So I have another question for you, for you both. Um, and Jessica, um, I, I promised Adam that I would say this. Jessica has a hard out at three, so she has to leave. Um, but, uh, um, but so I want to get this before, before Jessica has to, has to go. Um, one of the things that Don and I do, and this is going to lead us into risky or not in, in a second. One of the, one of the things that we do is we think about our actions and we are risk managers in our food decisions, right? Like, like us individually, not, um, you know, not a judgment on, on other people, but I think about like how I purchase food, where I purchase it, how we store it, how, and I'll interview my kids about their food safety behaviors here in a minute. Um, uh, and I, <laughs> but I think about like what they, what they do and what we do in, in our home. And sometimes like, you know, for us in the food safety world, when you're talking to people who are outside the food safety world, people want to ask us like, Hey, this thing happened. Is it okay to eat it? Or do you eat it? I had a a friend, a guy that I play hockey with who, um, we've known each other for a while. He just recently discovered that I'm like do food safety things. And he, and so now all of a sudden it was like a 30 minute conversation. He's like, you know, this and this. And then at the end he's like, what about raw milk? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, should I be drinking that? And I was like, well, I'm not going to tell you what you should do or not, but let's talk a little bit about risks. And so I think a lot about risk and decision-making and risk management. So what I'm, I'll give you my example here in a second, but I want you to think about what would you say is the riskiest thing that you do in your food decisions, the riskiest food that you eat, the riskiest place that you eat, and I want—I want—I'll I'll press, pressure you on that. So, you know, I'll, I want to know details. The, I'll, I'll tell you the riskiest thing that I think I do is I eat a lot of cilantro. Like I eat, I, I eat. It's probably just based on historical outbreaks based on how difficult it is to get salmonella um, off of cilantro, just knowing that we've, like, where where it is, knowing how I eat it, which is cook cilantro's gross. Like, I'm going to eat it raw. Um, I eat it, I don't know, like, eight times a week. Like, like from a number, you're like, like we eat a lot of like Tex-Mex food in my house. So, so I'm like, we grow, we eat so much cilantro, we grow it poorly because it's North Carolina, but, but we're like, so I, and I think that it's probably, it's probably the riskiest thing that I, that I eat. Like just from a number standpoint and his, like history, um, of it. So. Yeah. What do you? What, what about? What about you? What do you think is? The, what would you say is the riskiest thing that maybe you're embarrassed to share in front on the podcast in front of people? My name is Jessica, yeah. and I eat raw cookies. 
See, the raw cookie dough is like good. Yes. I try to convince my kids not to do it. It's so, so good. good. I mean, it's and I don't eat. I don't eat it eight times a week. I maybe eat it <laughs> once a year, like at Christmas yeah. cookie time. Um, but also, I like my eggs a little runny, and every time I do that, I, I think about that. And also, the defrosting of meat sometimes is a little iffy in my house. But I will tell you that since I came to Food Safety, we always use the meat thermometer on our meat. So that's yeah. that's been a big a big cultural shift. And I, I'd say like. I'd say like um, thawing, and I'll, this is not we'll get won't get all of the details here. But we did an episode on uh, risky or not on thawing meat on the counter, and I'd say both Don and I are like not risky, yeah. like like so it, it really depends on what you're. How, like, warm it's getting on yeah, the but you are gonna cook it right. True. So yeah. the the likelihood of some sort of heat stable toxin being created in the short amount of time that you're defrosting it out competing all the other stuff that's there and you know it's it's really like it's a it's, it's a whole bunch of steps on on that one i think we like really pushed that incorrectly like i you know and to me like again if i was to weigh the two things like i would tell people don't eat cilantro <laughs> right like 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 i mean thaw the meat all you want on the counter the thing that i do I, like i think is riskier than 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 um than meat on, on the counter. I think that raw cookie dough is really interesting because it, it kind of depends, right? Yeah. And there certainly are some manufacturers um, of raw cookie dough that have gone a long way to be like, okay, we're going to actually do some pathogen reduction knowing that people are going to do this. But, and we just recorded an episode of this or maybe talked about it on a recent food safety talk, but there are some, um, some raw cookie dough you know, manufacturers out there that are not really focused on on that or like you we're not gonna do yeah so it's kind of like it's another yeah it's another another one of those uh consumer, depends that's where it's up to consumer right? yeah and some might some of them might be actually not wanting to advertise it but they're taking as many yeah. steps as they can for their product output to make sure that it's that it is safe and i will say just a quick tangent i did learn one of the things that that was an existential crisis for me was was understanding that if you look in an older webster's abridged dictionary if you look up the term dethaw it will say to thaw. It's a verb that means to thaw. So, literally, look it up. All right, okay. I had in laws that said that. My in laws, they, they use that term, dethaw. Not to opsec, is that what No, no. That's, yeah. Dude, that, that seriously just, that was like nothing. I, <laughs> the crickets are quiet. No. No, no other grammar junkies out there. No, no. no. It's a, um, so, Adam, what do you think the riskiest thing that you do? Yeah, it's a good, this is, that's, a, that's a tough one. I think. The produce is, is where you're at because you're talking about the outcome being some serious pathogens that we're concerned about as well. So, you know, you talk about just from a volume standpoint, obviously, the bare hand contact that you see a lot uh, is going to be your odds of getting sick. But a serious outcome is fortunately so far going to be lower uh, with that bare hand contact transmission for the most part. Um, yeah, so I'd say the produce, I'd, I'd stick in that world. And it's one of those ones where, as you mentioned, the way you consume it is just impossible to, to, to really address that. The growing climates, there's so many challenges there. And, and what do we do to get that? I mean, again, what risk assessment? Familiar equals safe for a lot of people. Right. So the, that canonical, like, I've been doing this for my entire life and I've never gotten sick, right? Like that, yeah, that bias. Yeah, yeah. And, but as far as the numbers that are actually consumed and then the illnesses come out, I mean, the odds are still in your favor, but what do we do across the country to try to, to balance? So this is not a, it's not in a vacuum and it's not independent. There are, there's some, some other trade-offs. And 
So some some of those are way above where we're at, and we're just we just try to roll with it, do the best that we can with the information we're given. So yeah, I'll stick with the produce. Yeah, yeah, uh, leafy greens particularly. Leafy, yeah, yeah, and it's and it's one that like we're stuck in. You know, cilantro is not really a, a big nutrient source from our mind, but but like you think about like we need to be eating more fresh fruits and vegetables from a um, from a nutrition um, standpoint. And so yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think those are and, it, and it's a tough one. It's like oh that's that's riskier than than you know if if we're just eating canned beans all the time um for instance yeah go ahead and edit that dethaw thing out no it's good we're leaving it in someone someone on the internet will get the joke yeah (laughs) 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 um uh, jessica do you do you you gotta go you gotta go well thank you so much for for joining us Oh, absolutely. And I'm not going to let Adam go because um, we're going to play a little bit of Risky or Not now. Awesome. I'm sorry I have to mess up. No, no okay. problem. problem. Thanks, for, thanks for joining us. Everybody give, give Jessica a round of applause. All right. So we've got about, we've got about 15 or 20 minutes left. Um, I, one of the things that, um, that Don and I really try to do when we do these live is, you know, do a little, this is what food safety talks kind of like. And then now let's go, go into the other, um, podcast. So food safety talk, just for, for those who don't listen, we, Don and I ramble, like we'll talk for like two hours and like the first 20 or 30 minutes is basically what we're watching on Netflix just to warm up or like something that's going on in our lives. And then we get into food safety things. Risky or not, it's one question. We have to hold ourselves to like giving a definitive answer. Like, is this risky or not? And and we don't always agree. Most of the time we do. I'm the more risk averse of the two of us historically. And we have a listener who like has metrics on this that everyone like every once in a while will and actually probably the coolest thing that's happened recently on this, same same listener took those metrics. And then fed it into Chat GPT, uh. yeah, and and got Chat GPT to write a like a script, like a code for this to predict wh- how Don and I would answer specific food safety or risky or not questions, which is like very meta, like blew my mind. Um, so we'll, we 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 talked about that on an episode a, a while ago, but but yeah. So here's here's the trick, Adam. Right. Um, I'm going to give you a question. I'm going to give you some, some information. Don and I come in these cold, like, um, and then we just talk for a couple minutes on whether we think it's risky or not. And we try to give a little bit of detail on it. Um, and so, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to play a little risky or not. Are you ready? Yeah. yeah. I'm like major league. I'm going for major league batting average here. Cause I'm not, I'm striking out a lot, but I just think we should all do a sing along of the theme song. <laughs> we have to, so like bacteria, bacteria. <laughs> Everywhere bacteria. That's good. Bacteria. 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 You might not see them, but there's one person person listening. So, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Adam. Thank you. All right. Um, so, okay, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll edit this. I've got an actual question comes from a listener. Um, we, we refer to ourselves, um, on the internet because of friends in another podcast called us this, Dr. Don and Professor Ben. But I will, we, we will edit that. It's, it's gonna be just Adam and Ben today. Right. Um, so Adam and Ben, I have a home delivery service that shows up on Fridays. Um, well, it's Saturday morning and I forgot to bring in my items. The service leaves the food in a foam cooler on my front porch. They do not typically include an ice pack or other cooling mechanism unless they deliver ice cream in the summer. The package was delivered at about 6 p.m. 
And I went out to bring in items around 6 a.m. the following morning. Okay, so information we need to know, 12 hours. Overnight temperatures were around 62 degrees Fahrenheit, unusually warm for this time of year. I don't know when this question rolled in. Um, The cooler contained a pound of salted butter, a dozen eggs, and a package of thick sliced bacon. Are these items safe to consume for the eggs and bacon uh, after cooking? Um, Thank you, love the show. The canonical question, though, for the show is not, are they safe to consume? It is home delivery products left overnight, bacon, eggs, salted butter, risky or not. Sounds really familiar. Is this yours? No. No. (laughs) We've not done this one. So what do you what do you think? Do you want you want you want to take a stab at this? You want? W- yeah, I think I'm pretty risk averse too. But is it, in the, the canonical question, is home delivery products? It seems very general to me. Yeah. Is it these specific home delivery yes. products? Yes. Um, we're going to go okay. these specific ones. So we've got um, salted butter, eggs, and uh, bacon, thick sliced bacon. If that's a factor in your decision making. Yeah. Well, I think you guys killed the the butter myth, right? That that was the other the episode a while back where. Where that one lady said that it was safe, so that it was okay. Yes, but, yeah, but, we're we're butter, we're we're butter, we're good with butter at room temperature. But it, yeah. yeah, I think a salted butter would would be pretty low risk. At, do we know what temperature it came in at? Well, like, I, we don't. Started from no, but this is sometimes this is what Don and I have to do is kind of like mm-hmm. think about that. So, may, do we think it came, it started refrigerated? I think we can make an assumption that if a delivery service was was doing it, that at some point it started yeah. refrigerated. But there's no cooler pack, so maybe maybe we're it arrives in some sort of a cooler foam cooler at uh, let's just guess like 45 degrees. Yeah, and I'm hoping this is a local delivery because we we are seeing a quite a bit of really long distance food deliveries in this day and age but let's presume it's a local delivery service so it probably started out in the refrigerator and we're looking at 12 hours max and the driving temperature is gonna be 62 so we shouldn't see too much above that right um salted butter i'm okay with i think the eggs have a low risk of of having the pathogen to start with and they have some natural things going for them and then the bacon has uh formulation i think it's got quite a bit going for it so i think with those three foods in this particular scenario as we described it i would say not risky uh, you see the confidence you feel it's good confidence. i love this <laughs> look it's i just so put much you, pressure people. adam just you just crushed that man that was like you're yeah so i'm also going to go not risky I, the only thing that i could see really popping up here is staph aureus because we know that staph aureus can be associated uh, with bacon. There's, um, I'll link to this in show notes. There's a paper that I just pulled up from Applied Microbiology International, the Journal of Applied Bacteriology from 1962 that shows growth. But I think I'm not going to run a com-based model right now, but I think that in our 12 hours, it would be really surprising that the staff would grow that quickly in that environment with the with the amount of um, salt that's in the, the that's in that cured bacon, so I'm not going to say like if if we were for for a question like this, I'll often kind of like I'm going to answer it not risky, but I'll, I always try to go like what's my path to risky? It's like three days in a cooler. Now I'm worried more about staph toxin formation in that in that product in that short amount of time in 12 hours with that 62 degrees. Um, I, I think it would be really, really unlikely that you're going to have toxin formation in, in that short amount of time. So yeah. Now if it's a custom bacon product, I don't know if that exists and uh, somebody sneezed on it, would that change your answer? I don't think so. 
Yeah. yeah. How about I a think known staff aureus carry? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, but I, like, as I would just assume that there's staff there. Okay. Right. Um, so yeah, no, I, I, it wouldn't change. It wouldn't change my, my decision or my, my thought on that. We, neither of us t- touched on the eggs though. Right. We talked about no, butter. Did you talk briefly, about eggs? Yeah. I yeah. just think that with everything that's going on with the eggs and the yolk, the memory's going to break down eventually and get exposed to yolk, but uh, it's probably unlikely with the odds and uh, what is the pathogen there? I think that's lower. So I'd say I'm not, I'm not concerned about them either. Yeah, I'm not either. Um, and I think that the, the, the biggest part of, you know, egg safety in, in something like this is really the cooking process. So like if someone's going to eat it raw, May you know, and there was salmonella enteritis there. It might grow a little bit more, but it was there in the first place, right? Like so, the you know your your mean infectious dose may go up a little bit, or at least the you know what what it, you, your exposure might go up. But I yeah, I'm gonna say I'm, I'm saying not risky for for Nancy's home delivery products left overnight. So two not riskies. Nice job, Adam. Like put him on the spot. Good job, man. Great job. All right, I've got another one for you. Let me find it here. All right, so this one comes to us from listener to the show, Justin, and it's a Twitter feed, so we're going to have to open up my, twi- my, my tweet. And the tweet has been deleted. Um, so that's, that's a live show right there. All right. But, but I can tell you, um, what the canonical question is, because I actually think that there's enough information here for us to go on. So the canonical question was, baby carrots left out of ref- the refrigerator for five or six hours for a pregnant woman. Mm. Ooh. Ooh, let the record show. There was like a... Mm. We, got, we just got to, yeah, that's the... Yeah. That, that added that last wrinkle there. Yeah. So, yeah, so what are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, it was funny. We just had this, not with the pregnant part, um, fortunately, for our current life situation. But my wife just packed. She's great at packing things for for our consumption. Have the, the couple of the kids with us this for part of this trip. Anyway, she did the baby carrots. She cut them herself in half because she likes to portion them out. And then they were, I think they were flown here. So that might be another one. But for this particular one coming out of the refrigerator and uh, the CFP issue that was on the cut all cut plant foods requiring temperature control for safety you know that that was an, an interesting one i still think with this time frame of six hours i'm trying to think what pathogen it would be i, I guess listeria of course pops into your head so and in pregnant women so you got susceptible population highly susceptible person Six hours. We do we know where where they were at again? Let's just say it's out of refrigeration. Out of refrigeration. Yeah. yeah that. Yeah. If it's uh, you know Minnesota in the winter, very little concern. Yeah. <laughs> Atlanta in the summer might be a little different. Houston. Um, I just think on average it's six hours. I don't have the modeling access that you do. See, you should have brought your computer. So I'm going to put no. it. I should have. I don't even have access. So can I borrow your login? Yes. Okay. We can do. We can do some com base right now. Yeah. So I think that my tentative is going to be not risky for that time frame, for you know, and kind of the model that I put together there. But uh, I'll be interested to see what you say, Ben. Yeah. So I'm. I'm also going to go not risky on this one for for a couple of reasons. One is that listeria is like a 
one of those pathogens that on average requires a really high dose um, to lead to illness, even in, in uh, pregnant individuals. And um, so, so you're, you're usually, you know, when we think about like something like Salmonella or E. coli 157H7, you, you might get illnesses as low as a few, a few cells. Uh, it's, it's usually a little bit more than that, but, but you, but you can uh, typically, with with listeria, you're in the um, you know thousands, tens of thousands, and so it, you need a lot. In six hours to get that growth um, is is pretty unlikely. And and I'll I'll even raise that with a paper from um, two folks who are, are kind of like giants of the food safety world. Um, a, a paper that was published in 1990 in Applied Environmental Microbiology with the is from Larry Boshat and Bob. Bob Brackett. The title is Inhibitory Effects of Raw Carrots on Listeria Monocytogenes. And Larry and Bob um, demonstrated that raw carrots specifically, um, because of their naturally occurring microflora uh, and some of the antimicrobials in it, actually, the, the, if you put Listeria on it, it will die over time. And that the temperature the, it, you know, this is one of the things that Don does a really good job at, and I've learned from him, is the, um, anytime you add temperature to something, it leads to quicker, right? So if we're seeing this, it actually the refrigeration aspect of things will slow down this, this inhibitory uh, impact based on the, the paper um, here that, that Larry and, and Bob uh, produced. So it's like a little bit, there's a little curveball in this one that, that, I, that I think, so I'm, I'm definitely not risky um, on it for that short amount of time, plus that we know that there's some inhibitory um, uh, action of, uh, of carrots on listeria itself. This is probably more of a food safety talk topic, but it'd be interesting to see how do you apply this particular model to making, time, if plant foods did become, all cut plant foods did become time, of spoke, yeah. uh, time, tem, time temperature control for safety food, how do we do that where you might actually see warmer temperature is going to increase and lower the risk? How do you rectify that and then put it through a legal scheme with attorneys and, and codify it? That's, that's a big, big challenge. Yeah, and science is messy, right? Like yeah. that's, that's kind of the, the, you know, one of the fun parts of, of why I think we really like to do the podcast is to, to dive into that and, and say there's a, there's a turns out here in, in some situation. So cool. Well, again, Adam, thanks so much for indulging me in, in a couple of risky or not um, questions. It's so, one of those things where you know you don't know until you're in the you're in the seat. You nailed it. You're like, oh, that's easy. Armchair quarterback. Yeah, right? you did. You did a good job. Um, so uh, we've got a few minutes left, and um, I'd, I'd be happy if, if it's okay with Adam just to open things up to questions from from the audience. And um, yeah, and Courtney, if you wouldn't mind grabbing that mic, that'd be that'd be awesome. Perfect. Does any, anybody have any questions for for Adam or I or Don? I can text them. He's on a plane. While, while y'all are thinking about it, real quick, I have proud proud dad moment. So one of the reasons that my um, middlest baby and my wife and, and littlest baby, my my daughter oldest is in Hawaii. Yeah, Virginia or Hawaii. No offense. That's all. Yeah. But yeah, so Brady got to. Uh, go to National History Day with a, with a website project that she and her partner did. And so it's on Harvey Wiley. So pretty cool. Oh, that's cool. So they're actually going to, to, to a D.C. area for that National History Day competition here this week and get to see the result of that. Hopefully they do okay and maybe get some recognition. But I know here everybody's been very kind to listen to me blab on about how proud I am of Brady's project with her partner, Emily. So Oh, that's awesome. Cool. Well, congratulations to your daughter. That's awesome. 
Do we have to fill the dead air time? No. It's not like no, radio. A, we just, yeah, we're good. Hi, Ben. It's Kelly Getty from Kansas State. Yep, Go it's state. on. Go State. Yeah. Okay, it's on. But, you know, I raised my hand about a journey, and I graduated from Penn State, went to work the day of the Jack of the Box hearings for the American Meat Institute in Washington, D.C., And I think that all of us in this room, and I guess the question for you is, did we approach it correctly? Because there were things that the American Meat Institute sued against, but we didn't really ever be able to see from the consumer's hand why that was done. One was safe food handling labels. (laughs) They were, we sued against because they wanted them out in 30 days. But I think it goes back to some of the things we do in the industry. And are they right at times? And this is the situation. Yeah, that's a great, yeah, Kelly, that's a great, it's a great question. And, um, man, um, I, I think, I think often when we have these big events or situations you're you're trying to make decisions with the information you have at, at the time and in hindsight we may have had other other things to to focus on um and or we may we may have put too many resources to towards certain areas i've been you know on on safe handling instructions um i've been fortunate enough to be part of a couple of projects with FSIS over the last uh, few years, revisiting those safe handling instructions, and um, knowing like knowing the timeline to come up with okay, let we we have a we have a, a requirement, and we we recognize that we need to inform people about what they need to do versus taking um, a more complete science-based approach to develop what the right messages are and, and do some evaluation. I, I, I don't, I don't think at the time we probably did a, a good enough job in, in figuring that out. And now 30 years later, we're still using the same labels. Right. And, and so, um, being able to ask how effective they are at what we were wanting, wanted to do at the time, you know, it, I, 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 I see where, I see where your questions kind of, kind of coming from. Um, I do think, I, I mean, perspective not being around um, at the time, thinking back towards it, I think we saw a, a massive change in the expectations um, around E. coli 157H7 in ground beef and in beef products. That, And we've seen data and metrics over the last 30 years that's shown a decrease, drastic, that probably wouldn't have happened unless it was named an adulterant, and 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 it's and it it makes for a real hard argument to say, well, we could have done this, you know, without, and and it, we haven't seen, and you know, I know there's, I'm sure we're going to talk about this at the at the meeting over the next few days, like about adulterant, you know, salmonellas and adulterant and poultry products, and um, those things matter like like it really does put the industry on on notice because it now becomes a a regulatory requirement so something like that i think you know perspective wise i know that there was a lot of pushback and lawsuits um you know related to that but but that one seemed to have that that one really really was um 
was effective. But stuff like safe handling instructions, even just what we do for consumer food safety messaging and, and how that's evolved over the last 30 years, um, I, I think there was maybe some, you know, we had to do something at, at the time. And, and we did the best that we could with the information that we had. It's great. Yeah, great question. Other other questions? Oh, yeah. And Adam, you jump in if there's anything you okay. want. It's not really a question, but it's kind of, you talked before about servers miscommunicating risk, and you were wanting to know, like, possibly revisiting that. Well, in Texas, there's a certain university that has its own health department, and when you go to a training center and they have a cafeteria, and you order your hamburgers, and they come back pink in the middle. And you complain about it, and you're told, well, no, that's the default. You have to ask for it to be fully cooked. Yeah. Yeah, it's that the whole the whole like undercooked is is really I don't know it's one of these complex things right so you mentioned about pink in the middle and at the the work that that we did in this area and spent a lot of time around this pink isn't a temperature right. <laughs> And that's kind of the, the issue because there's a lot of reasons. Like I can cook you a 180-degree pink burger. It's easy. Like there, there, are, there are ways. It's, it's about time and temperature. And I can give you a burger that is like fully like feel looks like it's fully like browned or gray, whatever your, whatever your, your meat preference is, um, that only got to 135, 140 degrees. And so, so I think that that's one of the complex things about undercooked burgers is, is that we've really defaulted to, uh, the, the, sort of sensory aspects of it on color juices you know whatever and they're, they're not really they they they're correlated but they're not the same as as temperatures and there's lots of factors that that go into it but but to your point of the default is is pink is a really interesting sort of um approach too and i could see where where someone could argue well hey um we post it here when you order it that there's a little asterisk that tells you that or that says there's a risk of undercooked so you should know that which isn't the best way to communicate that and i think that that's that's really the 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 issue but i i also don't think that you like i mean you gave one one example of a um uh, a school that has a health health department program i i think you could probably find you know dozens uh, of places where that's where that's the case and and what I guess what I'm all about and what we tried to do with that work was try to highlight getting good information so people could ask and and really try to push on those who they're ordering from if they're really, really concerned. And I think that your example highlights that that's, you know, that's really, really hard, especially if there's if there's like a, a default um, uh, of it. So, yeah, thanks for thanks for sharing that. Yeah, I think. That I was thinking about that, and some some maybe were so the ones to me that are just undercooked and they're not obvious versus a hamburger where I don't know that I would we've always kind of approached it as that that's to order cook to order, but just as at the default I don't think I'd have encountered that before. So I think if I was a business operator in my pipe dream land, I would probably like risk averse in from a legal standpoint, I'd be like, oh, you ordered this undercooked, and here's the signature that you waive in our, our liability for it. We're handling it in best practices to get the lawyers to write it up right, and it'd just be a, a, a thing that 
you swipe through just like you check a box on whatever. I mean, I, I would at least as a company entity, I want to do the right thing anyway. But if I was going to do that and said that my market wanted to have those risky pro- riskier products, you know, I think that I would want to cover myself legally. Yeah. And would you have raw oysters at your restaurant? If they're irradiated, yeah. Yeah, nice. Good, good. Good, good answer. Nicely done. Yeah. Um, other, other questions? Courtney, could you do me a favor? Could you take the microphone back? back um, oh, I didn't see if there was a hand. But if, yeah, could, could you take it back to my kids at the back? Thank you. All right. Hand it to one of them. Yeah, that one right there, that's Jack. Jack, introduce yourself. This is where I get to embarrass my kids. I'm Jack. Jack. Um, and uh, and say, well, you're going to pass it to Sam in a second. But no, 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 I got a question for you. So um, being that I'm your dad and I do food safety things, is there anything that you do when you're cooking food that you learn from me to make sure you don't get sick? <laughs> I use a thermometer sometimes. He uses a thermometer sometimes. <laughs> so, so let me tell you. Thank you, Jack. Um, let me tell you the best thing that I saw. He was cooking like mozzarella sticks in in a uh, air fryer like a week and a half ago, and I came out and he tempted every like unprompted every single one of them. He t- stuck the thermometer in, and I was like, "What temperature? What, what's happening here?" First of all, secondly, like, "What temperature are you looking for?" He's like, "Ah, uh, one sixty-five," and I was like, "Yes, we have done it." I have been a successful food safety parent. I want to be so. cold. He, I will also brag on him that he cooked. He's a big chicken tenders fan, as all kids are, I think. And he like actually cooked chicken tenders from raw chicken cutlets this week, um, and they were pretty good. And I did make him temp all of them, and it was like, what were? Do you remember some of the temperatures? One ninety. Yeah, one ninety. He was like crushed it. So, yeah. <laughs> Good job. All right, Jack, can you can you pass Sam the the mic? So Sam, Sam, say introduce yourself. I'm Sam. Hi. <laughs> so Sam actually tells me that he listens to this podcast every once in a while, or he listened to it in his school, like in the classroom with his classmates, and I'm not exactly sure why that that is. Um, but Sam, is there anything that you do like? think about how do you think about food safety i don't okay <laughs> so perfect 50 percent. not bad i got one kid using thermometer on mozzarella sticks one who's just happy to be here <laughs> thanks guys Look, i'm gonna ask them a question oh have you ever seen your dad go to the bathroom and then not wash his hands oh. wow so i can't really see <laughs> Ding, ding, ding. I don't really watch him go to the bathroom. (laughs) Good job. Nice job, Courtney. (laughs) Well, oh, we have another question over here. Thanks. Thanks for indulging me, boys. I appreciate that. So I come to food safety from a regulatory background. I used to do organic certification. And my uh, favorite, like, question to ask at a conference was if you had to get a regulatory tattoo somewhere on your body what and where would it be and my joke as an organic certification person was 205 105 no sewage sludge irradiation as a tramp stamp so let that be your inspiration that took a turn wow you might be our next guest Uh, that was amazing all right, Adam, you're going to take... I got to think about this one. 
Yeah, so what popped into my head is a safe answer, and I'm going to do the temperature danger zone and cooking temperatures on my forearm so it'll be ready to access. I have a scar already that would be really nice to, to be the temperature meter. So, yeah, that would work. Oh, my gosh. Um, they're like, so I'm going, to, I'm going to stall and buy time here and tell you about the coolest – like te- like t- coolest tattoo that I've ever seen in the culinary world was um, a chef. I was doing I was working on this TV show and it's like a barbecue competition. And one of the chefs had an NSF like the actual NSF sticker tattooed over his elbow. And I was like, "Who who are you? Like what?" <laughs> What is happening here? And, and he's like, and he was like super tatted up. And he's like, yeah, man, I like every piece of equipment that we have has this NSF sticker on it. I see it all the time. I just wanted it. And I was like, you're, that's amazing. Um, so yeah, that- I, I can't use that. Like I would have, I would have like picked that one. Um, I'll, I'll bet yeah. we could get the body art committee to, to make that happen. Yeah. All right. What regulatory tattoo would I get? Oh man, I don't know. I'm gonna have to come back to you on this one because I don't want to give. Like, yeah, like I'm. I don't want to give like an uncool answer on this one. Like the yeah. Um, like Adam. That, no, no, Adam's I, was good. Was I, yours was good. Yours was good. But you now you you took it. Um, it would be something food code. So maybe it's not a regulatory tattoo, but I I would like to get like digital thermometers down both arms like just like big like big ones like you know how you see you see like chefs with like knives and stuff down their arms i want a thermometer um but i'm gonna have to come back to you on what what the regulatory one was and yours is way good so oh that's awesome thank you that's a great question well I think we're we're like right up out of time. It's three twenty eight. Thank you so much for joining us. This is what we do on our podcast. Appreciate you all listening. And thank you, um, thank thanks you a lot. Thanks, and and thanks to Adam and and Jessica as well for um, really coming in and, and doing a great job. So thank you, Adam. And if you are a first.